In classic mystery serials and soap operas, the old ones, often the dramatic pause was just that, very capturing of the attention, as in someone runs into the room, nobody leaves, there's been a murder, <laughs> dun, 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 dun. that dramatic pause, or for those of you who Maybe more familiar, especially for those of you that are 60s geeks and watched Captain Kirk in the Star Trek. He's well known for his great pause. Scotty, beam me up. <laughs> but the pause is what often captures the attention. Well, of all the pauses that there's ever been in drama, none is more dramatic, none is more powerful or poignant than the pause as began in chapter 10, and now we'll finish it today. This is a pause of peace. It's a time between the sixth and seventh trumpet of judgment where God just lets everybody catch their breath and maybe just emphasizes what's about ready to happen. You need to get spiritually ready for the great end time judgment. And so let's remind ourselves uh, where we are. In the book of Revelation, it covers a, a wide spectrum. The first chapter uh, talks about the things that are past, the things about Christ and who he was and to us and the revealing of Christ. Chapters two and three talk about the church. And in those seven churches, we find all of the attributes and sometimes the downsides of our churches today. And then from chapter four through chapter 22, it's a great uh, cacophony of things about God and the end time and the judgment, ending with the great time in heaven. And so uh, God says that there, after the rapture, after uh, Revelation chapter 4 and verse number 1, where they come up hither, then the church is gone. And from heaven, the church observes. And we're right now uh, encompassed about with a great crowd of, cloud of witnesses. And so this great cloud of witnesses is going to be watching and God, one by one, is going to pour out judgments, 21 of them, at least uh, from, the, uh, from the judgments there that we see. First of all, he opened up with these great, uh, great judgments, and we're in the trumpet judgments now. He had the seal judgments where he, he opens up this great uh, uh, this, uh, vision of a scroll, and one wax seal after another opens up, and when each one opens up, another judgment on the earth. God's trying to get people's attention. He's saying, turn like a parent, like a loving parent who has to increasingly uh, kind of ante up the, the discipline to make sure that he gets the attention. And then we come from the seventh seal, then it's seven more judgments called the trumpet judgments. And these uh, messengers, angels stand with their shofars, their ram's horn, and they announce it, and each one announces. And so now we're in between the sixth and the seventh. It is a dramatic pause, ending of all things with two amazing men of God who were going to preach about the mercy of God. And you'd say, well, I thought that they were about the judgment of God. Well, that's the wonderful thing about preaching judgment. It is an indication of God's mercy. If God didn't care about anybody, he wouldn't warn anybody. But because he warns us, it is his 
love and it's his desire to give us a merciful break. And so thank God. So here we're going to come to two wonderful men of God pleading with the world, receive Christ. And as we read through this, I will tell you, uh, as I, as I was going through this in certain parts, I couldn't, I told my wife, boy, I just felt God's anointing. I couldn't write fast enough. I was like, Lord, this is, this is like just reading the news feed. It's, it is just, just like today. And so I hope that you'll get that kind of a blessing. Well, before we pray for the message, this is Super Bowl Sunday. And so someone sent me this morning a text saying, that you should be as excited about going to church as you are about the Super Bowl. So if your pastor makes a good point this Sunday, pour Gatorade over his head. (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but uh, I am saying this is every Sunday is Super Sunday for God's people, isn't it? It's always a great thing. And so we uh, hope you that are watching online, uh, get your Gatorade ready. It's going to be a great sermon. All right, let's all bow for a word of prayer. Father, we come before you. I am so grateful for this passage. Lord, I love this book, and I especially love the last chapter. And so I pray that you'll get our minds together on this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Where's the Gatorade? All right, Revelation chapter 11, verse 1. We're going to skip back just a bit. There was given me a reed like unto a rod. The angel of the Lord stood and said, saying, rise and measure the temple of God and the altar of them that worship therein. When we say a pause, we're not meaning nothing is happening. It is not inactivity. It is just that God is gathering up to do something. And here in this verse, notice it says that there is a rod. It's a measuring rod, like a big long stick. God is marking out the temple. You say, what temple? Is this Solomon's temple? No, that was destroyed years ago. Well, is this Zerubbabel's temple? No, that was destroyed when Rome came in to, uh, to uh, Jerusalem in 70 AD. You say, is this Herod's temple? Well, Herod's temple was just a rebuilding of Zerubbabel's temple. You'd say, what temple is this? This is a brand new temple that is going to go into Jerusalem. It is going to be on Mount Moriah where the Dome of the Rock, the most, uh, one of the most holy places in the Islam religion is right now. You can only imagine what kind of uh, um, situations that's going to cause. But there is this beautiful temple there. And this, uh, the, the angel is said here, rise up and measure. And so John is supposed to measure uh, this temple, and God is marking out those that worship and those that don't. And this brings up a very important truth. Romans chapter 11 and verse 26 says, which is quoting the Old Testament, all Israel will be saved. Now, that's just remarkable. I mean, if I were to tell you all of Lodi is going to be saved in a couple of weeks, or I would say all of Stockton, we uh, drove through a certain place in Stockton this week, and I was just so grieved at the, just the very visible sin that I saw there. And I was thinking, oh, how this city, and same thing in Lodi, wherever we go, we see it, that how they need Jesus Christ. That's the answer. And yet, all Israel will be saved. Imagine the headlines saying, all religion, turn all of 
Israel turns to Christianity, and that's exactly what's going to happen. The, I read a headline the other day, it said, from a liberal network, it said, why are evangelicals so obsessed with Israel, so obsessed specifically with Jerusalem? Well, I can give you the answer, and I didn't even read the uh, the balance of it, because I knew why we're obsessed with it. But we're not obsessed with Israel. We are obsessed with the Bible. <laughs> and we're obsessed with the Bible. When you are taken by the Bible, when the Bible is the authority in your life, then you know God has plans for Jerusalem. That's exactly what it says in the Old Testament, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling. Folks, Keep your eyes on Jerusalem because it is the cup of trembling. It is the center. It is the hub. It is the nucleus of the end time. Every eye will be on Jerusalem. Every newscast, 90% of the newscasts will be about Israel. They'll all be about Jerusalem. Everybody's going to be talking about it. Now, Israel today is a non-believing nation. That is, they're not believers in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. There is a group of religious Jews. They're known as Orthodox. But for the most part, most Jewish people are secular. They have adopted this secular mindset, but they are fierce nationalists. They love their country. And remarkably so, they're the only democratic state in all of the Middle East. But during the tribulation time, they are going to be the center of all kinds of things that are happening. One of the greatest things that's going to be happening is intense persecution of the Jewish people. Intense persecution. In fact, anti-Semitism is going to be so great that the Holocaust, the terrible Holocaust, is going to look pale next to what's happening. It is the time, look what it says in Jeremiah 30 and verse 7. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. Now, folks, we know there's so much hatred in the world towards the Jewish people. Almost every week you'll read something that says someone calls somebody a Jew or this. You know, they'll say a Jew or something about Israel. Iran hates Israel. The Middle East hates Israel. Uh, so many people hate Israel. Folks, it is not anything like the time of Jacob's trouble. And that is during the tribulation period. It is trouble, but it's also treasure. Not only the time of Jacob's trouble, but it's the time of Jacob's treasure. All Israel is going to come to Christ. It's going uh, to be made that way because it's going to be so much stuff going on. They're going to say, we need God in our life. We need Jesus Christ. And so it's going to be an amazing thing. God is going to use two men. Probably Elijah, probably uh, uh, Moses, uh, we're not sure, but probably a resurrection of those two. They're going to come back, they're going to preach, and they're going to be supernaturally empowered like light stands, like oil-filled light stands, these olive trees that constantly filled with the, the power of God. It's going to be amazing, and they are going to bring light to the world, just like the church is supposed to do. We are here like two witnesses to bring light to a dark world. These two witnesses are going to be, bring so much light, it's going to be amazing. We noticed last week that the vision in Revelation chapter 11 is almost identical to the vision that God gave 
Zechariah. There, two men, Joshua the high priest, Zerubbabel, the political leader, were going to be used by God to bring revival to the nation. That was a historical prophecy. There was a future messianic prophecy referring to the two witnesses who would be lights, constant oil filled by the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're talking to today. They are human agents of God. They are pipes from which the oil from the tree of God comes and burns brightly to the world. Folks, we are a light to this world. And let me just say, we're going to keep preaching. We are not going to be silenced. Supreme Court or not, we're going to say, you know what? We will not be silenced. We are going to be lights to this world. God's called us to be lights. We certainly plan to be. Now let's look at verse 6. The spectacular nature of these men are amazing. They have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, power over waters to turn them into blood, and to smite the earth with plagues as often as they will. Folks, it is going to be amazing. And every night, the CNN will come on and they will say, folks, there was another earthquake in over here. There was, uh, there was more uh, pollution of water. And science says that it is due to these two uh, human-type people who have these powers, and they are creating so much environmental issues, and the world is going to begin to have a hatred towards these two witnesses because they have been used by God. And yet God has some things about them. First of all, we saw, and we're just continuing last week's, Number one, we saw that they were the witnesses. They were spiritually prepared. God had divided Israel. He had divided the temple, the believers and the non-believers, specifically Jewish believers, but also Gentile believers. They were sovereignly portioned. There were two witnesses. Why were there two witnesses? Because it takes two witnesses to corroborate any evidence. And God is saying, there's no doubt this world deserves punishment. They were also simply presented. They wore sackcloth, humble. They wore sackcloth because they were grieving over the sin of a nation and the grieving over the sin of a country. They were supernaturally perpetuated, we said. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, so much so that they were just this amazing light. Nobody could get around it. And then they were sensationally protected. God gave them the power to have fire come out of their mouth. Can you imagine? I mean, like a fire-breathing dragon, and they would just send it out. And now we're continuing our outline here today. Let's come to number six. Not, not only all these things, but they are satanically persecuted. Let's read verse seven together as we begin here this morning. Ready, begin. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. Every attempt will be made to silence these two Bible preachers. They will censor everything that they say. They will muzzle the airwaves. Cameras will be turned away from them so that they don't give them a word. Gag orders will be in effect. They will call them radicals, fanatics, fundamentalists, hardliners, and yet nothing will work against them. They are death-defying. They've been able to have fire come out of their mouth. It is just amazing. And then all of a sudden, God changes the script, and he allows them to be killed. 
Specifically, the Bible says a beast crawls out of the bottomless pit, some sort of a creepy beast that just comes there and attacks them. Now, we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. Let me remind us here that these men who have been sovereignly protected now by God's sovereign plan is going to be allowed to die. It's amazing how God just does what he does sovereignly. Reminds us of the fact that Christians are immortal. Our life is immortal until God is done with me. The great Scottish evangelist missionary John Patton and his dear wife in the 1800s were going to the New Hebrides Islands, which now is known by the local dialect Vanuatu. There in their home area in Scotland, one of the local elders exploded at them, just unloaded on them for the idea of going to this South Pacific island where all these cannibals were. And he said, you're going to be eaten by cannibals. And John Patton said these words. He said, whether I live or whether I die, my goal in life is to serve and honor the Lord Jesus. It will make no difference to me whether eaten by cannibals or by worms. But in that great day, my resurrection body will rise in likeness of our Savior. <laughs> what a great concept, a reminder that folks, whether we live or whether we die, my life is to be spent for the Lord. We are immortal. Hear these two men. God could have made them not die, but he allowed them to die. Sometimes people say, we need to do this so we won't die, or we need to do this so we won't die. Folks, our lives, the length of our lives, are sovereignly made by God. And we can do what we can do, but the folks, the plan is God sovereignly chooses what he does. Notice what it says, a beast will ascend out of the bottomless pit. The beast. This is the first mention of this particular beast in the book of Revelation. There are 35 mentions in the book of Revelation about the beast. Sometimes it's referring to an evil entity, uh, maybe uh, an empire. Sometimes people uh, indicate that it's like a revival of the old Roman empire. Seven heads, ten horns, we're told. It is perhaps uh, sometimes known as a coalition of nations that come together. It is a beast nation. It is a satanic organization that just does everything they can to perpetrate this terrible concept. But here, the beast is a person. And most of the places in the book of Revelation is talking about a person. And so uh, this is a, and it's a man or it's a uh, trans man. Uh, it is a political leader who is the leader of this beastly empire. And notice where it says, he comes out of the pit. Now, I think here is where we could just imagine that it's not like he actually crawls out of the pit, but in fact, his passion, his power, his, uh, his uh, mindset, his thinking comes out of the pit itself. And so here he is. This is none other than a uh, satanically... Uh, filled human known as the Antichrist or as the beast. And so God is setting this up. Here is this beast. And so these two uh, 
Witnesses are powerful. They have been given the anointing of God. And then all of a sudden, God writes a new scene in the script. He said, I'm going to let you die. And it happens. This uh, antichrist, this beast has power over them. And he comes and he kills them. But we might imagine, well, isn't that terrible? Everybody's going to be so sad. No, actually, everybody's going to be so happy that these two religious fanatics are gone. They're finally dead. They have been hurting us. They have been hurting our joy. They've been hurting our environment. Look at all the things they've done because water turned to blood. Somehow they made it the water bitter. Whatever they did, they just did terrible things to our environment. And the world loves the environment. Boy, they worship the environment. And so here they are. They just feel like finally we can have peace. And the Antichrist, the beast, this satanically filled human who has his mindset, all of that he thinks comes right out of the pit itself, comes right from hell itself. He is there and he's telling everybody, folks, this is a beautiful time in our world. We're going to finally have peace. We got this person out of office. These two people are gone there. Our world is going to be better. Now we can have a better life. And so I'm sure that God's people, these Jewish people who had gotten saved, these Gentiles who had become Christians, they're probably thinking, wait, wait, we finally had a little bit of joy. I mean, why are they dying? Oh, and I'm sure they were disappointed and kids were looking at their dad and saying, dad, why did Moses and why did Elijah die? Why did God let that? And Oh, son, I don't know. Daughter, I really don't know. And uh, people were disillusioned. And these two wonderful people who had done so much for the world, God let them out of their office and out of their situation. And people were, I'm sure, very much sad. And look what it says. And it gets worse. Look at verse 8. And their dead bodies, these two witnesses, shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Here it's called the great city. In Revelation chapter 21 and verse 10, the great city is a heavenly city. Here it is an earthly city. And so it's talking about uh, Jerusalem, 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 sing for the night is o'er. The old gospel song says, Hosanna in the highest Hosanna forever. And yet, strange enough, even though it's Jerusalem, the house of Shalom, peace, the house of peace, it's anything but that. In fact, God describes this great city. Remember now, Jerusalem is the center of the world. Every eye is on Jerusalem. Every newscast about Jerusalem. Every uh, news feed about Jerusalem. Every satellite focused on Jerusalem. Every day, everybody's going to be talking about it. Antichrist has set up his offices right there in the, in the temple. He is the abomination of desolation. And now he has killed the two witnesses. They're dead. But instead of burying them, respectfully so, it says here that they are laying in the street. And God calls Jerusalem, Sodom, and Egypt. What? The beautiful city of 
Jerusalem has become like Sodom. Yes, Sodom known for its wickedness, for its perversion, for its immorality. It is the San Francisco of the Middle East during the tribulation. There's going to be so much perversion that you might as well call it Sodom. People say, going over there to Sodom, meaning Jerusalem. It's going to be so wicked. And then Egypt, Egypt, synonymous with oppression, godlessness, idolatry, secularism. And so Jerusalem, the beautiful city of God, is going to become this perverted city, this center of universities, of everything that's going on. And all the things that are happening, God allows these two witnesses to die in Jerusalem. Now, why do they die in Jerusalem? Well, probably because that's where the majority of their preaching is. They'll probably preach in other places. They may travel to uh, China. They may travel to America during that time. But they're going to be killed in Jerusalem. And so there in the streets of Jerusalem, they are going to be lying there in the streets, the very place that our Lord was crucified. And they are going to be killed. Now, folks, we need to know this. And that's what I was saying earlier. This concept of the secular world killing preachers, which seems so foreign to us, folks, that day is coming. The day is coming when they will feel like they are doing even God a favor by killing and shutting up Bible preachers. I promise you, if you think shutting down churches now is something, they'll be shutting down anybody who gets involved in so-called hate speech. And that's one of the things I worry about, honestly, with online, because at some point, they're going to say, you can no longer preach the Bible. That's hate speech. And then only those who can be able to be in person. And so I just encourage those of you that are online, as soon as you can, get in person and don't let anybody keep the truth from you. And so that's what's going to happen during this time. Now, sometimes people say, Pastor, I get so worried about the future. And I mean, things are, horrible things are happening. And we look back over the last few months, even the last year, and Say, Pastor, this has been absolutely horrible. And I agree, it has been horrible. Say, is there any hope? Well, folks, I don't want to be a spoiler here, but you need to hear this. And that is the Bible is very clear. It doesn't get any better. In fact, it gets worse. <laughs> now, I know that may not encourage us, but I want to be real here. That's what it says in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13. God says, evil... Evil men, women, just evil and seducing lies, absolute lies, will wax. That's an Old Testament way, or I mean, excuse me, an Old English way of saying get. It'll get worse, and then it'll get worse, and then it'll get worse, and then it'll get worse. Deceiving and being deceived. Folks, it's not going to get better for our children. It's not going to get better for our grandchildren. It's not going to get better for our great-grandchildren. You'd say, well, pastor, is there any hope? Yes, there is. Listen closely. The hope is that Jesus will come. And when he comes, he will set everything right. That's what's going to happen during the tribulation. This seven years where God judges all the hatred, all the evil, all the deceit. You'd say, well, when is he coming? Well, we're not to predict Matthew chapter 24 says, no one knows about that time or that hour. 
But I will tell you this much, the days are coming. He's coming. You'd say, what do we do in the meantime? And that's the next question it seems like so many people ask. Is it going to get better? No, it gets worse. Well, what should we do? Be faithful. Be faithful to the Lord. Be faithful to Scripture. Support God's work. Get behind the preaching of the Word. Just do all that we can to do right for God. Give out the gospel because, folks, that's exactly what they're doing in the end time. What are they doing for the world? Preaching the gospel. What's the best thing they can do for Israel? Preach the gospel. What's the best thing we can do for America? Preach the gospel. What are the two witnesses going to be doing? Preaching the gospel. Folks, that has been the answer all along, and it's still the answer, even when things get worse. Now, thank God, as we're going to see, there's always a remnant. Hallelujah. There's always a remnant. Pockets, places where it doesn't be, it's not that way. One of the things I've heard people say over these last months, they say, you know what? I can't tell you. One person just told me on Wednesday night, said, I, I don't know how long it's been. A young, another young man told me yesterday, say, I don't know how long it's been since I've been in a place where there were people, where they were just worshiping God together, singing. It is so refreshing. It's a remnant. It's a pocket. It's something different that's going on in the world. And that's exactly what's going to go on during the tribulation. Is it get worse and worse? Yes. That's what's going to happen in the end time. It gets worse and worse. But at the same time, there's always wonderful pockets, families, churches, groups that are serving God. This uh, beloved city of Jerusalem, now it's an open graveyard. Here these men are just laying there in the street. Look at verse 9. And they are the people of the kindreds of tongues and nations. So uh, all humanity, that's just a, a, a word, a term there for the Gentile world. So everybody's going to be watching, by the way. Everybody watching? How could that be? Now, 200 years ago, people would scratch their head and say, how could everybody see what's going on in Jerusalem at the same time? We that live in this era know exactly how that could happen, don't we? I mean, everybody's going to have a little phone. They're going to be watching. It says they will see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. Now, I'm not sure why they won't touch them. Maybe some people will say they're, they're toxic. I mean, look what they did to the rivers. They made them blood. Look what they did. Fire came out of their mouth. They're toxic. You know, they, you know they, they're has, it's a hazmat danger. And so we can't even touch their bodies. Maybe that's what they'll say. Or maybe just out of absolute sheer joy that they are dead. They had caused so much trouble in the world, so much social problems. By the way, just as a historical note, what they will do in the tribulation period is exactly what pagan nations have done down through history. Whenever they would uh, try to show complete disrespect, they would leave corpses lying, especially those of the enemy, or put a head on a pike. We are told in the scripture to treat a dead body with respect. Deuteronomy 21 and verse 23 says, not even supposed to leave it on these trees overnight, as it says here. But here, wild celebration no respect for the bodies of these wonderful God-ordained preachers. They hate them for what they did. Look what it says, verse 10. And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them. <laughs> what? Really? They are happy they're dead. Happy they're out of office. Just so happy. 
and shall make merry and shall send gifts to one another (laughs) because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. Folks, when this beastly leader who came out, his, his mindset, his concepts came out of hell itself, this satanically filled human, whatever he is, he is there, he's saying, I had them killed. I had these people who hurt our environment. I had these people who hurt democracy. I had them killed and now we can finally have peace. All the world is listening. They just can't believe. They're fawning over this world leader who's standing there and just so happy. He's saying, I have brought about peace to all the world. And it says so much so that they will rejoice. You'd say, well, how can everybody listen? I just read this week that Elon Musk, who is one of the founders of Tesla, who has also uh, uh, one of the things that not only electric cars, but SpaceX, they fire rockets into the orbit. They have a new thing called Starlink. Have you heard about it? It is a constellation of low earth satellites, thousands of satellites, not in the high area, but in a kind of a middle area so that 100% of the earth can be covered. You can get internet this coming year. They said 2021, you'll be able to get internet from Starlink, from Elon Musk. Everybody will be able to tune in. The Bible says the whole world will tune in. Maybe they will tune into this Starlink. I don't know, but it's satanic Christmas. Look what it says. They send gifts to one another. It's a holiday. We have new holidays that are being created. Antichrist will get the Nobel Peace Prize. Everybody will be praising him. I can't believe that you rid our world of these two terrible, terrible people. In fact, the Bible says they will send presents to one another. No longer is it Christmas. It's going to be Beastmas or Happy Dead Preacher Day. They're going to say, isn't it wonderful these two These two terrible men are gone. Now remember, folks, the demons are still here. 200 million terrible uh, demon-like creatures have come out from the Middle East, from the river Euphrates. There are still locust-like creatures probably all around. But notice what it says they said. Look at this verse. Verse 10, why were the people happy? Look at the last part. Because the two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. (laughs) What? The two prophets had been tormenting the earth? How did they torment the earth? By preaching the love of Jesus. They preached the mercy of God. They preached that even though judgment is coming, you can turn to God. You can be saved. You can have eternal life. You can have freedom. You can live for God. That was the way they tormented the world. And the people will have gotten so demonic. Remember now the Holy Spirit is out of the world. I mean, if you think it's bad now, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit withholds evil in the world. And with God's people in the world, they're the remnant. God doesn't pour out his wrath on this earth because of the Christians. He Uh, that's because the Bible says it is not appointed for Christians to go through that eternal tribulation. 
But when that time is done and his people are gone, and this is happening in the tribulation time, it says that they are going to make merry. The word there is jolly. <laughs> you talk, I mean, almost like a satanic Christmas. Here they are, supernaturally, spiritually prepared, sovereignly portioned, simply presented, supernaturally perpetuated, sensationally protected, satanically persecuted. I love my outline. And number seven, they are supremely powered. <laughs> Look at verse 11. They are powered by God. Satan and his camp are having a party, but it doesn't last. And it, by the way, it never does. And any that are living in sin today, and I remind all of us, if you're living in sin, that's only temporary. It doesn't last. Verse 11, after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Folks, you got to get this scene. Here are two men of God, Moses and Elijah, very likely, we're not sure, but very likely, two men lying in the streets after three days they are stinking corpses. Buzzards are picking at their skin. The cameras are on them constantly. And people are walking by and laughing and saying, that's what happens to Bible people. That's what happens to followers of the Messiah, Jesus. And the Antichrist is flexing his muscle and he is telling the world, look what I did. I rid the world of these terrible right-wing, Christian, Bible-believing people, they're gone. And just know that I'll do the same to you. And the whole world is gathering around science and environment, and they're so excited that these preachers who've been tormenting them with the love of God, with the love of Jesus, are gone. For three days, day number one, oh, they're gone. Day number two, they're gone. Day number three, they're gone. Three and a half days, very similar to the last half of the tribulation, which is three and a half years. Three and a half years, three and a half days, God's sending a message. Time is no more. This is at the end of the tribulation period now. And then all of a sudden, somebody walks by and one of the hands start moving. And the skin that had been deteriorating and been plucked off by some wild beast or something, all of a sudden their face and their features just came back and the other hands started shaking and then pretty soon their feet started shaking. They get up and people are just wide-eyed. Oh, I thought we were done with these preachers. And the Bible says they were raised by the Spirit of God. Folks, this is a great symbol of the resurrection of Jesus and the resurrection of every one of us who are born again will be raised up and Satan has no say in that. And the Bible says great fear came upon them. Great fear came upon them. And then look at verse 12. And then, by the way, that fear actually is the fear of God for some um, in the last part of that, uh, but it, look what it says in verse 12. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying, come up hither. And they ascended up into heaven in a cloud and their 
enemies beheld them. Come up hither. This was a two-man rapture right here. Those guys were laying there. They were raptured. I mean, up to heaven they went. And I got to believe, folks, they were grinning as they were leaving. They were saying, why God let us preach? Why God let us bring so many to Christ? Why God would let us have so much power? And then why would God in one fell swoop take that all away? Let us be seemingly destroyed, seemingly put down and defeated. Why God would do that? And then why God would raise us up? Only a sovereign, wise God could figure all that out. But God is constantly showing this world. He has the power. We can't figure God out. But folks, God is going to raise them up just like he's going to raise you and I up. Verse 13, and then as a just an exclamation point, the very same hour. So here are these two witnesses. They're going through the sky. Everybody's, the cameras are on them. People have got their phones out. The whole world is seeing them rise up. You're like, oh, God, no, no, what's going to happen? Verse 13, and the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth part of the city fell. The earthquake were slain of men 7,000, and a remnant were frighted and gave glory to the God of heaven. It almost sounds like a target scud missile or something because it's so precise that one-tenth of the city is destroyed, 7,000 key parts of the Antichrist inner working, 7,000 of them are going to die. Most Bible scholars believe that uh, God is just going to pick and choose places all over Jerusalem and including the uh, temple there. And it's going to fall down because remember now the Antichrist, the beast is in the temple, this, uh, this tribulation temple. And so God just shakes it and things begin to fall. But notice the last part of verse 13, a remnant. That's what I was talking about early. Pastor, this world is so terrible. Yes, it is. Is there any hope? Well, there's actually no hope for this world. In fact, folks, it's going to get worse. But there is a remnant. And the remnant were affrightened or a healthy fear shook them. And what did they do? They gave glory to the God of heaven. They gave glory to the God of heaven. And that is the right response. You may remember back in Luke chapter 17, there were the 10 lepers. And one of them came back and it said he gave glory to Jesus. And what did Jesus say about that? He said, your faith hath made you whole. The word whole there is the Greek word sozo, which is the word for salvation. Jesus said, your giving glory to God is the same as getting saved. These people, folks, were getting saved. Again, Israel, thousands of Israelis in Jerusalem will be, will be turning to Christ. They'll see this and they'll turn to Christ. Multitudes of Gentiles all over the earth are going to get saved. And then let's look at verse 14. And now things are going to change. The two witnesses who had been saying, God's mercy, God's mercy, accept the love of Jesus, accept Christ. And now that's gone. Who knows what's going to, what few days or weeks or months here, but whatever the case is, the end is near. And that's why it says in verse 14, the second woe is past. 
and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. You may remember the fifth trumpet was the first woe. All the trumpets are bad, but trumpets five, six, and seven are woes. <laughs> woe. I mean, this is even worse than the last one. And so trumpet number five was the first woe. Trumpet number six was the second woe. Third, which is a number of completion, the number of God. The third woe is the seventh trumpet. The seventh trumpet's going to blow. And then God is going to open up bowls of judgment, just bowls where he pours out judgment like the world has never seen. Folks, the time is coming. The end is coming. The rapture is coming, no matter what anybody thinks. There was a man in Long Island who wanted a beautiful barometer, one of those beautiful pieces that sometimes people used to put on their mantles. Well, this one was a beautiful one. He bought it, very expensive, elaborate, brought it home and opened the box and noticed that there was a needle pointing to the sector on that barometer that indicated a hurricane was coming. He looked for a little knob to adjust it, but found none, and he got mad that he had ordered this beautiful barometer only to see that it doesn't work. He shook it. He tried to reset it to normal. He had to go on a business trip, and he said, I'm just so irritated, spent all that good money, and didn't even work. And so he sent off a scathing letter to the company, went off on his trip, and when he got back home, the barometer was missing, and so was his house. A hurricane had come through there. No, the barometer wasn't wrong. In fact, it was right. And today people are saying, oh, the Bible's wrong. The Bible's wrong. No, the Bible is absolutely right. And we cannot stop the tribulation or the coming Christ by saying, oh, it's not, it's not true. And God is giving us fair warning here. He's given us warning about everything. And this is a, just a preview of what's about to come. He's saying what's about to come is absolutely beyond anything you can imagine. Now, folks, we live in an unprecedented hour. Sadly, the new administration that's come into America is racing into socialism. It is opening the door for a one-world government as never before. Unprecedented increases in national disasters, incurable diseases. People are saying, oh, we're so glad when the coronavirus is over. Folks are already talking about so many different variants and intensity is building to this world. And the Bible talks about these, uh, these uh, pangs, these pregnancy pangs, these, these birth pains that the earth is going through. It's expecting, it is looking forward to another day, a day when Jesus comes. But I thank God this morning, if you are saved, then we don't have to go through that and we can praise God. We can be free from that. But I'll tell you, if you're not saved, get saved today. For those of you that might be listening online right now, just right where you are, just bow there and kneel beside your couch there and just say, I accept Jesus. I want him. I accept him. And if you're here and if you're here listening as well, I just remind all of us, these are the days to give our heart to Jesus Christ. And if we're not right with God, the days are now to get right with God because when the rapture comes, we'll not have time to get right with God. Even though our salvation is secure, I want to go to heaven knowing I have pleased our Lord. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed.